0: Thank mm-hmm. So I know some of you are wondering, it is five minutes into the second quarter. The Saints and the Minnesota are tied 7-7 to right now. I know there is a football game going on right now. I don't like you, NFL. But at the same time, I'm thankful to be able to be here with y'all to start talking and going through the book of Hebrews even more. If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Um, we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit today. Um, most of the scriptures will be behind me on the overhead, so you don't have to worry about thumbling around. But at the same time, if you want to, um, I'll try to be as open and forefront as possible about when these scriptures come about. An amazing thing happened Yesterday. I got to start blowing leaves. And I know some of you think how ridiculous is that, but I absolutely love when I get to start blowing leaves. I left you, I went in the house yesterday, everything was absolutely perfect. There wasn't a leaf on the driveway, not a single one. The yard looked immaculate, so thankful. I got this new battery-powered leaf blower, and I know some of you are thinking, pastor's going green. Let me tell you something. It took 250 gallons of diesel to mine the ore for that battery. Then it took about 2,000 tons of coal to refine and manufacture that battery. It is not green. It is far from green. But I love it because it's so quiet. I don't have to go to the gas station. All I got to do is unplug it, put it in there, good to go. But when I got up this morning, I walked outside, I was mortified. My perfect, beautiful lawn, slithered with leaves. And they all come out of nowhere. But you know what I'm going to do after service today? I'm going to blow leaves. you dang right I am. That's a lot of the way uh, our life looks as Christians. We're constantly trying to clean up things in our life. We're constantly trying to make improvements in our life. And while there's nothing wrong with that, there's sometimes that it just feels like a dauntless dauntless and endless task. And as I was reading Hebrews 9, two questions come to my mind. The first question that come to my mind is, why do we make it so hard for others to come to Jesus? And then the next question was, why do we think it's so hard to come to Jesus? When we're dealing with why do we make it so hard, um, we have all these standards that life, your life has to look like this, or you must look like this, or you must do this. And all these are external expectations. They're physical things that we think make us look better. And we talked a little bit about this last week. But then that brings about the other question is, Why do we think it is so hard to come to Jesus? And there's those things that we battle inside of us. Not good enough. I can't hold to this. And ultimately, the one that I feel a lot of times is, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to come before a perfect, righteous, holy God. How can I even begin to stand of the, in the presence of someone like this? And this is internal. These are hard issues. And these are issues that all of us deal with. We've got to understand something. There is a way by which we can come to God. There is a way by which we can come to God. And there is a way that he desires for us to worship him as well. And in Hebrews chapter 9, the writer, I'm not going to say who it is because, again, we don't know who it is, but in Hebrews chapter 9, he starts talking about pure worship. So follow along with me. Verses 1 through 15 is what we're going to be reading today. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which where were lampstands and the table and the sacred bread, and this is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense, the ark of the covenant, and on the side with, a gold, with, with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the mammon, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the ta- tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But these things we cannot speak in detail of. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and then for the sins of the people committed in ignorance." The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place was not, has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol of the present time. According to both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Sorry, I got a page stuck together. Since they relate only to food and to drink and to various washings and regulations of the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having attained the eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkling on those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleansing your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, Those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Pray with me. Father, I just want to thank you this morning, Lord. I want to thank you for the beautiful time of year that we're entering. And just even this morning, how I couldn't help but acknowledge your glory, your majesty, and the work of your creation. Father, it's this time of year that you paint us a beautiful portrait right outside our own back doors and father every time i look at those portraits i can't help but think about how great you are but as we're digging into this scripture lord not only are we wrestling with the concept of how great you are but we're also wrestling with the problem of how wicked we are ourselves and father we know it's only through christ that we can come to you right now So Father, I just pray that as we dig into your scripture this morning, as we dig into your word, that you would give us eyes to see, a heart to understand, and a life, Lord, to live through what you're speaking to us this morning. Father, once again, I want to thank you for all that you've done. We ask that you continually be with so many of our brothers and sisters who are going through the devastation of this hurricane, Lord. And I just pray that you would bring comfort and peace to those and be with all the first responders, the rescuers, and all of our missionaries who are heading down there right now to serve these people. Father, may you use this situation too to show your glory. Thank you for all that you've done, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I told y'all I blew leaves. So the bad thing about blowing leaves is it really messes with my allergies. So my voice may cut out. So all of you um, Minnesota fans, y'all might get a short sermon after all, and y'all can catch the last of the game. So I went back and I listened to last week's sermon. I listened to every one of my sermons. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I am absolutely horrified by what I hear. And sometimes I am absolutely amazed at what I hear. But after I got through listening to last week's sermon, I thought to myself, man, that was three great sermons. That was three awesome sermons. And the reason it was is because as in other books of the Bible, like Proverbs, we've been going through Proverbs in Sunday school for some time. A lot of it seems to reiterate, but it's not reiterating, it's actually building on itself. And in chapter 8, it's really an overview of what's going to be coming in chapters 9 and 10. And I know some of you left thinking that that was a lot to digest, and it was. And some of you left scratching your heads, and some of you left more confused than you come. And over the next couple of weeks, I promise we're going to try to straighten a lot of that out. But in chapter 8, There is one main takeaway that I want you to get from that. And that comes from chapter eight, verses five. It says, they serve, talking about the old form of worship, as a system of worship that is only a copy and a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him a warning. And this warning stated, be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on this mountain. Everything that we're talking about when we talk about the old covenant is nothing more than copies and shadows. It's patterns. The best way that we can understand this is it is imagery. Images image is important, isn't it? The image that you hold of yourself, it's important to you, right? In the same way, this imagery that we're seeing in the Old Covenant is important to God because it is pushing forward to something else. And for us, it's, it can be very confusing. Because is this really the way that God desired for people to have forgiveness of sin? Through the offering of goats, through the offering of bulls, through the offering of sheep? No. No. But this image that we see here with the old covenant, and I'm going to go into a little bit of it, is part of the reason that we make coming to Jesus so hard, not only for others, but also for ourselves. The writer starts off in chapter nine, giving great detail about the tabernacle. How many of you know about the tabernacle? How many of you really understand all the dimensions of the tabernacle, of all the things that it's symbolic of? Well, you're lucky, I'm not going into all of them today because we would be doing five sermons in one day, but I want to do, do wanna give you an overview of what the tabernacle, the first one, the original one, the one that Moses created looked like. The first tabernacle was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. The walls were seven and a half feet tall. To help you with perspective, the sanctuary building over here, or the Fellowship Hall building over here, is 100 by 50. So if you were to take another half of that building, build up front, take half of that building and go out to the side, that's how big the original tabernacle, the outer walls of the tabernacle were. And the outer walls were made of white linen. These walls were constructed of 60 pillars, 20 on each side and 10 on each end. And this is what constructed The courtyard. On one side, on the east side, there was a thirty-foot gate or veil that you could go into this courtyard through, and this was just the outer wall of the tabernacle. Once you got into it, the courtyard, you would find a brazen altar. This brazen altar was seven and a half feet square, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet. It stood about four and a half feet tall. It was made of acacia wood, and it was. Overlaid in brass. This table was what was used for them to sacrifice the animals. This is where they did the spilling of the blood. This is where they cut away the fat. This is where they took all that took place. But you would also see a something called a laver. A lot of people have different words for it, but what it looked like it was a big bathtub. There's no real size given in the Bible on how big this should have been. But this was for the symbolic washing of the high priest. But once you got past that, you got into a lot more things. You got into the sanctuary. The sanctuary was about 45 feet by 15 feet. Let me give you a perspective on this. Sorry, Roberto, I'm supposed to stand in my line. From the front of this stage to the back of the sanctuary is about 45 feet. It's actually somewhere closer to 46 feet. And if you go from about where Corby is, raise your hand. That way, it's still a little bit more than 15 feet. But that's how big this inner sanctuary was that was inside the tabernacle. And inside of it, it was broke up into two portions. One portion was about 30 by 15 When you got into that portion, you would find a building made up of 45 or 54 pillars that were 15 feet high and 2 feet 3 inches wide. Those are some big pillars. And all these pillars were overlaid with gold. You would also see that the walls were made of fine linen. And this wasn't just white linen. This linen had been embroidered with threads of blue and purple and scarlet. And you'd notice that the roof and the walls, even though the roof come over the walls, they were not connected. There's symbolism behind that too. But then you would also find another area. About 30 feet into this sanctuary, you saw another veil. And this veil looked similar to the walls, but there was one difference. Gold thread had been woven into these walls. And these gold threads made out a beautiful image of cherubim or angels. But inside the outer sanctuary, you would find a pure gold lampstand. Some say it weighed somewhere around the neighborhood of 100 pounds. And on this lampstand, you had seven. Lamps, Seven lights. Most of us see this as the modern-day menorah today. It looked very similar to it. But you also had the table of showbread. The table of showbread was three feet long, a foot and a half wide, and two feet tall. It was made with a wood, and it was covered with gold. Then you had the altar of incense, which was a foot and a half by a foot and a half by three foot tall. Again, made with a wood, and covered in gold. And all this was set aside for worship. But then there was that little 15 by 15 foot area. And not many people can speak of this 15 by 15 foot area because this 15 by 15 foot area was only allowed to be gone into by one person. And the only thing that was in this area was the Ark of the Covenant. Again, built with a of wood. The Ark of the Covenant measured three, three foot nine inches long, two feet three inches wide, and two foot three inches tall. Completely overlaid in gold. On top of it, you had the mercy seat. This is where the blood was applied this is where the blood from the goats, from the, from the um, heifers, from all of it was applied for the purpose of forgiveness of sins. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a whole lot for worship, doesn't it? That seems like a lot of things to go through to get to a heart and attitude of worship. And as we read through this in the very first part of 9, we started seeing all these things laid out about how the priest would have to come in and how he would have to do his daily chores for the sanctuary. Once a week, he had to refreshen up the showbread. He had to constantly make sure the lamps had oil in them. He had to constantly make sure that things were clean and tidy. But once a year, and only once a year, He went in to the Holy of Holies and he did it for the remission of sin. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. But it's no different than some of the things that we have today. But it's all imagery. It's nothing more than imagery. You know, it would be nothing for you to show up at my house on any given day and find a four-foot Spider-Man and a four-foot Power Ranger running through the house. These costumes are getting a little bit smaller as they get a little bit bigger, but they don't know that. They still put them on. Power Ranger now has caprice. Don't stop him from wearing it. Spider Man, Spider Man costume, got to strip down to nothing to put that sucker on because it is skin tight. (laughs) But there's this thing that they love to do, and all kids love to do it. I used to love to do it dress up, or make believe, or pretend. And all we were doing is trying to pretend to be something that we were not. It looked a lot different in my day. We didn't have the costumes. We didn't have the toy guns. We had pine cones. Those were our hand grenades. How many of y'all remember those days? We had sticks. And we'd go out and we'd find the perfect stick. The perfect stick that had a pistol grip. One, every once in a while you'd find one with two pistol grips. And man, you held on to that stick. You didn't let nothing happen to that stick. But again, all of it was nothing more than imagery trying to be something that we are not. Now, you come into my house, you see those two four-foot superheroes. But the truth of the matter is, is they're not superheroes. When I was growing up, you'd see a little kid, look like a poor Rambo, but I was no Rambo. And we constantly played these games Of trying to be something that we're not. And you know, the older we get, I'm discovering the games never stop. But the looks of them constantly change. We constantly put on these costumes. And I know I've talked about this. And I know some of you are thinking, Scotty, we've already been through this. Yeah, but we still don't get it. We constantly put on these costumes that we've got our lives together. And the truth of the matter is, most of us are just struggling to get through today. All of us want to put on this persona that we're super parents. But deep down inside, every one of us go to bed at night feeling like super failures. We all want to live to a standard that is so far above what we can. And you know what I find every day? the higher the standard I try to live for, the bigger failure I feel like every day. We've seen this imagery of what it took for man to come to God in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in Hebrews. We see this imagery of what it took for man to come to God. And we've taken on that notion that it is this hard for us to get to God. Remember what he said in eight. It's copies. It's shadows. It's patterns. But none of this is what gets people to God. Look at verse nine again. Hebrews chapter nine, verse nine which is a symbol for the present time all these things that it's talking about is a symbol for the present times according accordingly both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make a worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings and regulations of the body imposed until the time of reformation. And a lot of the things that I see today are very similar to that. I have a lot of people ask me, why is it that you dress the way you dress and stand behind that pulpit? Why is it that you don't have everybody stand when you read the word of God? Why is it that you don't do certain things that we used to do a long time ago? And the truth is, there's a lot of things that I don't do because clothes don't make me holy. Rituals don't make me holy. Things that we used to do in the past weren't always Holy. Sure, it had imagery. Sure, it had other things. But when it comes down to it, the reason I am the way I am, the reason I'm transparent the way I'm transparent is because I want you to understand this. I struggled the same way you do. I'm just like any one of you. I'm just a normal person who constantly fails. And you know what? I want people to see the same person on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and Sunday. I don't want them to see somebody trying to put on an image that they've got their life together when deep inside in my home, it feels like it's crumbling apart. The children of Israel did nothing but carry this burden for a long period of time. And let me reiterate when I say carry what exactly I'm talking about. Because for 40 years, they had this tabernacle. And for 40 years, they were constantly on the move. So you know what they had to do every time they go out on the move? They had to pack up the tabernacle. They had to pack it up. And some of those things, y'all heard some of the beams, 15 feet tall, two and a half feet wide. That's a big old beam. Can you imagine just one person carrying that beam for 40 years? Can you imagine... All the people that had to break it down, set it up, break it down, set it up, break it down, set it up, because they would move about every two or three days. And they didn't just leave it packed up. They weren't like us today. They didn't have a storage unit, they didn't have pods to put it in. They set it up. They set it up. And they set it up for the purpose of worship. For 40 years, they carried around a burden of an image that we find out gave them no perfect conscience. Because you know, everything can look good on the outside, but the inside can be an absolute wreck all these things they did imagery imagery of what it took to hit perfection but all of the perfection that they could give still wasn't good enough you know what I get it I get it I know how they feel I know how they feel on a daily basis to never measure up. I know how they feel weekly to have to feel like you're tearing something down, carrying it around, setting it back up again. I know how they feel by carrying such a load on my shoulders that it's just overwhelming. But this week, one thing that stood out to me the most was we were never meant to carry that heavy burden. Rebellion is what caused the children of Israel to carry that burden for 40 years. And in the same way, our rebellion is what causes us to carry our burdens every day. There's one thing I want you to realize out of this whole thing, talking about the tabernacle and then we're moving on. In the tabernacle, it only took one person to get to God. Not everybody had access to God, but everybody in the camp had access to that one person. Every single individual inside the camp, the children of Israel, even the outsiders, had access to that one person who had the access to God. Because see, this whole thing of perfection, this is what causes the inner conflict in us. And this is what causes us to make it so hard on everybody else about coming to Jesus. Because truthfully, inside we're struggling with coming to Jesus ourselves. Even when we get saved, even when our lives are on the other side of the cross, we still struggle. We still are burdened. And the outer conflict of performing day in and day out and carrying those burdens is what creates the inner conflict of what we think. Nobody can carry this burden for me. Nobody can handle this situation for me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. There is no way I can do this. You were never meant to. You were never meant to carry that burden. You weren't created for such a heavy load. And what we think about how we get to God will determine what we do with that load. Audious response. How do we get to God? Do we really believe that? We know it. We profess it but do we really understand it? Because if we really understand it, then our lives, they're gonna look a lot different. Our lives are gonna be a lot freer. And I'm not talking about freedom to do whatever you want, but I am talking about the freedom of not having a looming punishment over your head. All of us know that sin, every single one of us know that sin requires punishment. From the very young age, we understand when we are little, if we do something bad, we're gonna do, what's gonna happen? Y'all never had that happen? I had that happen in walking out, well, not walking, being drugged out of this church, not this church, the old church, Years ago, I knew that if I did certain things, that there was a punishment coming. I knew that if I hid my credit report card long enough, I would get away with it for a while. But I knew there's only so many days that mama's not going to get that report card. And you know what I always dreaded? I always dreaded the day that punishment come. But an amazing thing happened after the punishment. You know what that is? Relief. Because once the punishment had been dealt, I didn't have to worry about that again. Thankfully, mom Mom was a... Great mom. She never held things over my head. Did she have the right to hold them over my head? Yeah, she had a lot of right to hold them over my head. But once the punishment come, whatever it may be, I didn't have to worry about it no more. And you know what happened to my conscience? My conscience was cleared. So why is this important, talking about the old covenant going into the new covenant? If you will, real quick, turn with me to Romans 3. Because this is something that all of us know, but I don't think a lot of us really understand. Because if we really understand what this scripture is saying, we will not be fearful in approaching God starts off in verse 23 is where i'm going to pick up it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god everybody's got that right nobody is perfect there is no sinless people on this earth i don't care how good they think they are none not one goes on to say, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. So we are redeemed to God. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. So what exactly did Jesus do for us? Whom God displayed publicly as a perpetuation or a substitute in his blood through faith. This was, a demonstra- this, was, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. What he's saying here is the sins that took place before the cross, he did not punish them. Think about that for a minute. He did not punish those sins before Christ. Does that mean that they wouldn't stand before punishment or judgment? No, that does not mean that they would not stand before judgment. But here's what it does mean. It means that you cannot punish a goat for your sin. You cannot punish a lamb for your sin. You can't punish a heifer for your sin. Your sin the only response to it is a punishment, not a slap on the hand, not grounding, not being put in a corner. The punishment is death. But even with death, we really don't understand that. Because when we think about death, we think of just ceasing to exist, don't we? But for those who die without Christ, they don't cease to exist. They live in an eternal punishment. Constantly. Day in and day out, they're being punished. And then everybody says, well, they're being punished for their sins. No, they're being punished for rejecting Jesus. And I don't know where we get our theology But Satan will not rule hell. He will be punished just like everyone else there will be. Satan's not the ruler of hell, he's the first occupant. He is the first occupant. What this scripture is saying is there was no punishment for sin before the cross, but then look what happens. For the demonstration for the demonstration I say of the righteousness that the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Where then is the boasting? It is excluded excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. The only way that the law is established is through a punishment coming for our sin. That's the only way. And the only way that punishment is paid it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of us here today who carry this mentality and this notion that one day we're going to have to answer for our sins. If you are a true believer in Christ, no, you will not. Your sin has been punished. Punished. Your sin has been dealt with and your sin is forgiven. All the Old Testament covenant was doing was a shadow and a copy of things that were to come. Because there is one way to have access to God. And that one way is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, you do not have to come shrewdly before God or secretly before God. You get to go in boldly before God because of what Christ has done for you. You don't have to worry about the punishment. You don't have to worry about the shame. You don't have to worry about the guilt. It's done. It's done. It was eliminated. And that's where our freedom comes in. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want. It's a freedom of having a clear conscience. And why can we have a clear conscience? We can have a clear conscience. Because my sin's already been punished. Last week I left off telling y'all a little bit about why I do the things for Jennifer that I do. Why I go to the restaurants that I hate, why I fill up her tank with gas when she can see that light just as quick as I can. Sometimes I think it's a game for her. 20 miles to empty, I think I can get the rest of the week. But the reason I do the things that I do for her is because I love her and I don't want her to be on the side of the road. I don't want her to have to go through all of that. I want her to enjoy the things, the love that I have for her. And that's the reason while I don't hold to the law, I still do my best to not break it. Because I know that every time I break one of those commandments that my Lord and Savior was punished for that. I wasn't punished for that. I won't be punished for that. He took that. When he had those 39 lashes and the flesh was literally ripped from his back that was the punishment that I was supposed to have. He took it from me. I don't sin because, well, I sin, but I don't purposely sin because I'm trying to live a perfect life. I try not to sin because I know the agony and pain that it caused my Savior. And I don't want him to feel that. In verse 13, it says the old system was, symbol, it was symbolic. And the same word that is used here for symbolic is the same word that we get when we say parable. The old system was nothing more of a story, of a copy of things which were to come. Of a Savior who would die for us. Of a Savior who would walk into the Holy of Holies and imply that precious blood that would forgive and punish our sin. It's such a beautiful thing that someone would take a punishment. That I was supposed to get. What kind of love is that? What kind of man is that? What kind of God is that? That's one I'll follow all the days of my life. Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works and serving the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. In our hearts, we know that our sin must be punished. But God's plan was never to punish us for our sin. God's plan from the very beginning has always been redemption. God's plan from the very beginning has always been that we would not carry that burden, but that Christ would carry it for us. And this is why Jesus spoke those words to Peter when he said, You cannot drink of the cup that I am about to drink. You can't take this punishment, Peter. This punishment is mine. So, what does that do for us? As I was reading through a lot of my commentaries, one commentary stood out more than others. It's called The Preacher's Outline and Sermon Bible. But it gave a cross reference that no other commentary gave. And this cross reference is then found in 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to listen to this because this is absolutely beautiful. It says this whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. We have come to know and have believed. The love which God has for us. And God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is, because as he is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Fear involves punishment. Our punishment's paid. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. And if someone says, I love God and hates their brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that we love, that the one who loves God should also love others. The reason we make it so hard is because we know that perfection is required to get to God. The reason this messes with us internally is because we know perfection is impossible. And this, thinks, this makes us think that we have to carry this burden. This burden of perfection. This burden of this tabernacle. But this burden and this punishment was never ours to carry. We got to stop trying to do what Christ has already done, He's forgiven your sins, He took the punishment. And we should fear no more. Pray with me. Father, while this is so simple to read, sometimes even to preach, this is so hard for us to understand. Because Lord, there was a time that we knew our sin and our wrongdoings required a punishment. And we knew, Lord, that one day we would have to answer for those sins. But one day you opened our eyes to Jesus Christ who helped us see that he had already taken that punishment and that through him, we could have true freedom, freedom from regret, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt. And Father, we don't have to fear that no more because you put that on your son. And Father, I am so thankful for what you did for me. And the only response that I can give you is my heart of worship. But Father, I know there are some here today who still wrestle with the guilt, with the judgment, with the shame. And Father, today I pray that you open their eyes to the freedom that is offered in you, that the punishment has already been paid. Give them freedom, Lord. There's some here today, Lord, who've never really understood that their sin had to be punished and that they were separated from God. And maybe today, Lord, maybe your spirit is drawing these people to you. So Father, do in their hearts what only you can do. Because God, we can, we can clean them up on the outside but we can never touch the conscience. Only you can do that. So Father, do what only you can do. It's in your name I pray, amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God but also grow in his glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning, and all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue to help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you, because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.